From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, July 20th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese presidents hailed visiting former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger as an old friend of China. Spain's classified the current heat wave as extreme in 30 districts across the country. And China's experimenting with 3D printed buildings as it plans a future moon mission. In business, China's issued guidelines on boosting growth in the private sector. In sports, FIFA's Women's World Cup is now underway. In culture and entertainment, Syria has begun restoration efforts in Aleppo's quake-damaged Old City. Now today's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping says Henry Kissinger is an old friend of China's. He met the former U.S. Secretary of State in Beijing. China-U.S. relations will always be associated with the name Kissinger. Chinese people will always remember you. I have tremendous respect for you. President Xi told Kissinger that China is willing to work with the U.S. to explore ways for the development of bilateral ties. Kissinger underscored the importance of the One China principle and said he's willing to work for mutual understanding between people of the two countries. Kissinger recently turned 100 years old. He's visited China over 100 times since 1971. While serving as U.S. National Security Advisor more than 50 years ago, Kissinger made a secret trip to China, which led to then-President Richard Nixon's ice-breaking visit to China in 1972. Pita Lamjaronrat's bid to become Thailand's prime minister is over. Parliaments denied the renomination following a constitutional court's decision to suspend the Move Forward Party leader as a lawmaker. Local media say Thailand's parliament will vote again in a week's time to choose a prime minister. Chowrat Yongjiranon has more from Bangkok. 
Whatever last hope supporters of the Move Forward Party or MFP had for its leader Pita Limtirandat, they've been diminished after Parliament voided his candidacy as Prime Minister. The reason for the decision, a technical legality, which prevents a proposal to be submitted twice in Parliament. Things were already looking bleak for Pita during the parliamentary session when the Constitutional Court announced it will accept the Election Commission's request to rule on Pita's MP status, given he had an alleged shareholding of a media company. MPs are not allowed to own shares of a media company. The court announcement meant that Pita's MP status was suspended until it finished its ruling. Even though this did not impact Pita's standing to run for PM, upon hearing the announcement, he swiftly stood up and exited the parliament, only to come back to address the parliament one last time. I think that Thailand has changed and will never be the same after our general elections. The people have been able to move forward with our party, but we are only halfway there. Even though I am unable to perform my duties, I ask my fellow MPs to help take care of the people instead. The ball now is on Puatai's court. The eight-party coalition will now have to decide who it will propose as the next candidate for prime minister. One potential candidate is Seta Tawisin, a well-accomplished businessman in Thailand's real estate sector. But there are questions as to whether Puatai's relationship with MFP will remain strong, given the blows the party has taken. Analyst Barinya Tewa Narimitkun believes Putai cannot afford to let go of MFP's coalition, as together they will hold a significant influence in the lower house. But I would say if Putai, uh, you know, strong enough, they must know, realize that uh, movement and Putai is majority, absolute majority of the lower house. No one else can build any coalition. But Inya says the most likely scenario is Putai will add more coalition partners to strengthen their votes for prime minister. It is clear there is ongoing pressure for a new government to be selected. The private sector wants leadership for an economic recovery the country needs. In the meantime, pro-Pita supporters are out on the streets. It is unclear what move they will make next. The road to premiership ends here for Move Forward Party leader Pita Lim Jaranrat. Now it's up to the eight-party coalition as to who they will propose for the next prime minister candidate and whether or not they will garner enough support. That was Charat Yongjiranon on the race for the premiership in Thailand. Russia's warning that it'll consider ships traveling to Ukrainian ports possible military targets following its decision to exit the Black Sea Grain deal. Russian President Vladimir Putin has accused Western countries of perverting the deal for their own ends. But he said Moscow will return to the agreement if its conditions are met. Meanwhile, Ukraine says it's setting up a temporary shipping route to maintain grain exports. Russia's been attacking the Odessa port in the Black Sea. Russia says President Vladimir Putin will not meet his BRICS counterparts in person at next month's summit in South Africa. The decision averts a possible diplomatic dilemma, Dasha Chernyshova explains. 
The Kremlin has confirmed that Russian President Vladimir Putin will not go to South Africa for the BRICS summit next month. Spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Moscow will be represented by Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Putin will join his counterparts from Brazil, India, China and South Africa via the video link. The Kremlin dismissed reports that Russia allegedly warned host nation South Africa that arresting Putin on an international warrant for war crimes would mean war. Peskov said that everyone understood without having it explained to them what an attempt to infringe on Putin's rights would mean. South Africa said Putin's decision not to go was a mutual agreement. That was Dasha Chernyshova in Moscow. Coming up, Spain's dealing with extreme heat ahead of the country's general election. Discover Chapolina, Bosnia and Herzegovina's new highway that connects the country with Croatia and Hungary boosting regional connectivity in Eastern Europe. Join us on Deep Dive this week to explore the transformative impact the highway has had on the once worn torn country, bringing economic opportunities and improved livelihoods. Available on major podcast platforms. Search Deep Dive and dive in. We're at seven minutes past the hour. Well, Spain's classified the latest heat wave as extreme in more than 30 districts across the country. Wildfires on La Palma are showing no signs of dying, and parts of the country are still facing drought. Uh, the issue comes as Spanish voters head to the polls this weekend for the general election. And Ken Brown has more. It's still nearly 40 degrees in Madrid, and it's even hotter around other parts of Spain. Uh, Figueres in Girona reached 45.4 degrees. That's a record in Catalonia. Red weather alerts in Murcia, Malaga, Alicante. Now, despite these temperatures, people continue to flock to Spain uh, in their millions. Numbers are on course to break records for tourism this year. Authorities are, are asking people to stay inside from 12 to around 4 p.m. Wildfire still burning on La Palma and uh, red alert across the country for wildfires. Well, despite these record temperatures, droughts around uh, much of the country, reservoirs drying up, it, it doesn't appear to be a big issue for the, the Spanish electorate. I saw one list that uh, talked about the economic crisis in the top spot, then health care, then unemployment. Prediction C, the centre-right party, the Partido Popular, uh, to, to be in government with far-right party Vox come Monday or Tuesday when those results are in. Now, we've heard from this block a lot of climate scepticism, and they have talked about a willingness to put fishing, farming, tourism, and industry in general ahead of the climate emergency. That was Ken Brown in Madrid on issues concerning Spain ahead of a general election in the country. Residents in Beijing have been living under temperatures of 35 degrees Celsius or higher for weeks. The hot weather is beginning to reshape some industries, especially those involving working outdoors. Liu Sarei went to a construction site in the capital city to see how they're handling the difficulties. Temperatures in Beijing went up to 40 degrees Celsius in the past weeks. But while most construction workers stopped working during the heat, some could not. I'm lucky today because it's only 36 Celsius degree now. Uh, but I'm only here for like 10 minutes and I already cannot bear it because of the high temperature. So I can't really imagine those workers who have to do this for intensive 40 minutes. For 33-year-old welder Ye Changxian, the sheltered working environment is still not enough to counteract the record high heat. 
I drink this bottle of water in the morning and another in the afternoon. I drink a lot of water every day, but sometimes it does not help. I need electrolyte water to stay hydrated. Ye also says his accuracy goes down as the temperature goes up. I have to wear protective gear if the weather is too hot. My perspiration will keep coming into my eyes, disturbing my sight. Sometimes I would burn myself, like I burnt my hand and my leg at times. According to Beijing's local policy, employers should pay outdoor workers a subsidy of at least 180 yuan during the months of June, July, and August. But workers' economic loss due to the shortened working hours makes the subsidy only a symbolic gesture. And the project manager says it's becoming more costly to try to complete a project on time. That includes rising fees for medical care and electricity. If the outdoor temperature is higher than 40 degrees Celsius, the temperature of the land surface will reach to 50, even 60 degrees. We cannot let the workers continue with such temperatures. So, if the extremely hot temperatures happen too frequently, our project will be delayed. But so far, we'll be able to finish it on time. The impact of high temperature on other industry might not be as direct, but is no less harmful than the construction industry. And it's urgent for us to be aware that the devastating consequences of a worsening environment are approaching us imminently, and it can never be too early to change this trajectory. That was Lou Saray with a report on the urgency to revert climate change to protect people's health. The unprecedented heat across the globe this year has boosted China's exports of sun protection accessories. Some countries not used to the products and home appliances have come here to look for ways to cool down. Chen Yilin went to a market and spoke with buyers and sellers. Extreme heat is sweeping the world. Experts have been advocating ways to protect from sunburn, namely the ABC principle: avoid the sun, block exposure, and use sun cream. Due to this, sun protection accessories have gained popularity. I went to Yiwu, known as the world supermarket. Here, I found some of the best sellers, from cap and watch fans to arm sleeves and masks. Face-protecting masks like the face guineas have been topping the sales charts this summer. These masks can be stretched over the face, providing protection from harmful rays. And the materials also been improved to make it more breathable and comfortable. The orders of face guineas and arm sleeves have increased more than fivefold. Most of the products are UPF 50. The Yiwu International Market is also frequented by many foreign purchasers. I am here from India, and I am here to buy some hand caps because the products are here are very good. So we get some new new products also. Retailers say they've seen an increase in orders for export. Exports to Bangladesh, Mexico, and Brazil are increasing. The orders are currently scheduled to September. Meanwhile, China's exports of new energy-powered devices are surging as countries grapple with power outages amid heat waves. The demand for our solar fan is soaring in countries like Vietnam due to its recent power cuts. Our solar fan can also provide light and charge phones. The company says it has orders lined up until the end of August, and its factories are now operating at full capacity to ensure delivery. That was Chen Yilin reporting.
The catering industry in China is embracing smart technologies to enhance the quality and scope of their services. Zhou Feng recently interviewed the manager of a company to learn about their latest operations. While many people associate smart restaurants with robots cooking and serving food, the catering industry has taken the smart technologies to a new level. Qian De is the manager of Dianzhan Village Catering Company in Suzhou, Jiangsu Province. Its main service is providing nutritious meals for large companies that require bulk orders. Chen says that their nearly fully mechanized and digitized technologies give them a competitive advantage in the industry. We're using a fully automated rice cooker for large-scale production. The entire process, including disinfection, cleaning and packaging, is mechanized. It means it doesn't require any manual labor from the moment the rice is poured in until the final product is ready. It can produce approximately 3,000 boxed meals in an hour. The fully automated vegetable washing machine is also controlled by a computer system. The system can greatly reduce the need for manual labor in the whole production process. The intelligent equipment is complemented by a management model that automatically collects data during various procedures. The data includes ingredient weights, ideal ingredient proportions, and estimated dish quantities. Manager Chen explains how the advanced system works alongside their large-scale mechanized production capacity. For example, 5,000 kilograms of cabbage may come out as 3,500 kilograms after going through the automated vegetable cutting machine. The system will display both numbers. It'll calculate how many servings can be made from the ingredients and how many other ingredients you need to add. At the same time, the system can display the nutritional content of the cabbage, including the amount of vitamins. Of course, it can also detect whether there are any pesticide residues on the vegetable at the beginning. With the help of these equipment and systems, the company is planning to expand their operations and serve more customers in the near future. In recent years, smart technologies have increasingly reshaped the business of China's catering industry. Some companies are establishing smart canteens. The system automatically weighs each dish and calculates the price after diners place their trays in the smart sensing area. The cutting-edge services have brought customers distinctive dining experiences. All the dishes I took cost 16 yuan. They're not expensive. Dining at the canteen is quite convenient. The key is that it's very intelligent. According to industry data, there are approximately 4 million smart restaurant outlets across China. Among them, the top 10 generate a total turnover of nearly 40 billion yuan, or around 5.6 billion US dollars a year. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Feng. Coming up, China's experimenting with 3D-printed buildings as it plans an ambitious moon landing. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there.
It's 18 minutes past the hour. Thursday marks International Moon Day. It's celebrated on July 20th every year to commemorate the anniversary of the first landing on the lunar surface in 1969. China's planning to land Taikonauts on the moon before the end of the decade. Scientists have been experimenting with 3D printing to construct buildings there. Sun Ye has that story. Professor Li Feng and Dr. Zhou Siqi 3D printed out sample bricks made from mock moon soil to explain why they believe for buildings to take hold on the moon, 3D printing with what the moon already has could be the way to go. We are in the first stage of our work, hoping to use 3D printing or similar technology to turn loose lunar soil into civil engineering components. That is, components with certain mechanical strength and shape. Our goal, which is also in line with the national plan, is to have the first brick made of lunar soil on the moon before 2030. In the early stages of construction on the moon, only very few people will actually be able to go there. In case there's a labor shortage, we need to increase the level of automation in the manufacturing processes. 3D printing is naturally good at this. It's very suitable. But even a shed on the moon is a long way away. Moon soil is loose, and to get the level of cohesion a building needs is hard. The vacuum environment, the extreme temperatures, the much lower gravity are all problems new to humankind as they look to the moon. The team has run studies for seven years using mock moon soil, but soon they will receive real moon soil samples retrieved from the Chang'e 5 mission. The real lunar soil could make all the difference in how their studies stack up. With real data from the moon soil, we can better understand its true composition. For example, we can then further improve the formula for the binder. Previously, whether it be the simulations or the data we used, it was all from science literature. But being able to study the lunar soil ourselves, conduct our own experiments and research based on our own data, these are very meaningful. Actually, when we first started researching 3D printing with lunar soil, many thought the idea was a bit far-fetched. However, now that the Chang'e 5 mission has returned with samples, we feel that the recognition and feasibility of this research has increased. Our confidence in it has also increased. The team is so hopeful they recently published a children's book explaining the ins and outs and painted a future with 3D printed buildings on the moon. That was Sunya reporting. Japan's plan to release nuclear-contaminated water into the ocean continues to raise concerns across Pacific Island nations. Critics worry the discharge will harm both the ocean and people's livelihoods. Greg Navarro has more. Few people will argue there are questions about the safety of Japan's plan to release accumulated wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific. I think it's completely understandable that when it's announced that radioactive water was going to be discharged into the sea, it, it sounds like a bad idea. So it's entirely logical, entirely logical that there are concerns. Which is why the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency traveled to the Pacific this month to meet with members of the Pacific Islands Forum, the body that represents 18 countries across the region. Firstly, the concern is, is this safe? That's the, the primary concern. Uh, and if it's safe, then it should be allowed to discharge water. 
Japan says the proposed discharge is a safe solution to the problem of what to do with the equivalent of around 500 Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of accumulated nuclear wastewater. The water has been used to cool reactors at the Fukushima nuclear power plant, damaged by the earthquake and tsunami in 2011. The water will be treated before being discharged into the Pacific. The only thing that can't be removed is tritium. Tritium is actually continuously created in the Earth's atmosphere. So it's created naturally and falls as, as, as rain. So there's more tritium created in the upper atmosphere than is produced by, by nuclear power plants. About 2.3 million people living in the Pacific Islands rely on the ocean for food and income. For instance, around half of the world's tuna supply comes from the region and is a vital economic resource, which is why many people say they can't afford any risks to the marine environment. There is also a certain level of anxiety across the Pacific today over the testing of nuclear weapons more than half a century ago by the U.S. and France. Some countries, including the Marshall Islands, are still dealing with the health and environmental impacts. Well, I don't think you can ignore any member of the, the forum, as uh, history tells you. Um, no, what we do is we accommodate. Uh, every country, every leader has uh, their sovereign independence to take a view or take a position. And part of the forum family understanding is we respect that. We respect their, their position on that, uh, as we've done on other topical issues that we've had. Um, and it's a, a matter that we'll have to manage as best we can. Despite the opposition among some Pacific Island countries, it is unclear what options remain, if any, to prevent Japan from going ahead with its plan. And that was Greg Navarro reporting. Mexico City is home to one of the world's largest urban solar projects. The rooftop of a wholesale market is generating power. Local authorities hope the project will signal the beginning of a solar power revolution in the country. Alistair Baverstock has more. Mexico City's Central de Abastos, a wholesale market covering 327 hectares, among the largest in the world. Its rooftops now outfitted with thousands of solar panels. The market draws far less energy from the national power grid. Alberto Valdez is the Mexico City government's director of renewable energy development. This is one of the world's largest urban solar energy plants with 220,000 square meters of rooftop covered by solar panels and a flagship project of this city's government to prove that solar plants within cities can generate important quantities of electricity. The solar panels are supplying more than a third of this market's total energy consumption and will do so all year round. Market visitors have been impressed by the development. It's a very good way to save energy by using renewable sources especially given the size of the rooftops here, which have a lot of capacity for the installation. It's a good example for the rest of the city. Leaving a good impression is key. Part of the government's idea behind this mega-project is convincing Mexican society of the benefits of solar power. We have projects for smaller businesses to install their own solar panels, where we provide technical help and financial aid for all businesses to generate solar power. Carlos Flores is the director of a business council devoted to bringing carbon-neutral solutions to Mexican industry. Mexico City's government is very focused on projects promoting sustainability, and we need plans for climate change, air pollution, public health, through government projects that source energy from clean and renewable sources. 
That was a report on solar, rather a solar rooftop generating power for a market in Mexico City. New Zealand Prime Minister Chris Hipkins has paid tribute to the victims of a shooting in Auckland and their families. Three people, including the gunman, were killed in the incident shortly before the Women's World Cup was due to open in the country. Hipkins says it's an isolated event and it's safe to attend the football games. Thankfully, these sorts of shootings and events are not common here in New Zealand. I met with the police commissioner and senior police officials this afternoon. I've got confidence that they will investigate fully what happened here and they will be able to provide the answers to the questions that we all have in time. Police have identified the gunman as a 24-year-old man who previously worked at the construction site where the shooting took place. The incident does not seem to have affected the World Cup schedule. In the second half of the program, we will have results from the opening games of that tournament. A small plane crashed in Colombia on Wednesday, killing five members of the Democratic Center Party along with the pilot. The victims included a former senator and ambassador of the country and the party's coordinator in the Meta region. Authorities have assigned a team of experts to look into the possible causes of that crash. An Indonesian community leader, a Cameroonian agronomist, and a Brazilian environmentalist have won this year's Gulbenkian Prize for Humanity. Uh, the jurors have cited the chosen winners as showing leadership in their countries and proving that individual action can make a difference when it comes to fighting climate change. Former German Chancellor Angela Merkel announced the winners in Lisbon. She says it's encouraging that this year's proposals were predominantly from developing countries as these regions are most affected by climate change. During this round, the focus of the proposal submitted was, as already mentioned in the introductory video, on the so-called Global South. This was the first time since the founding year 2020. To me, this is an encouraging but also unnecessary sign given that the Global South is particularly affected by the consequences of climate change and at the same time has contributed and continues to contribute the least to its causes. Merkel chairs the committee that awards that prize. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 24 degrees overnight. Tomorrow we'll see showers in 26. Chongqing's down to 25, then a slight rain in 32. Last is at 11 overnight. Cloudy in 24 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 28 degrees this evening, then cloudy in 33. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 overnight. A slight rain in 32 degrees on Friday. Islamabad has a slight rainfall in 25 overnight. That rain continues with a high of 33 tomorrow. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese president's hailed visiting former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger as an old friend of China. Spain's classified the current heat wave as extreme in 30 districts across the country. And China's experimenting with 3D printed buildings as it plans a future moon mission. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. 
This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday. Still to come in business, China's issued guidelines on boosting growth in the private sector. In sports, FIFA's Women's World Cup is now underway. In culture and entertainment, Syria has begun restoration efforts in Aleppo's quake-damaged old city. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Now a day, uh, check of the day's headline news, and here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping says Herring Kissinger is an old friend of China's. He met the former U.S. Secretary of State in Beijing. China-U.S. relations will always be associated with the name Kissinger. Chinese people will always remember you. I have tremendous respect for you. President Xi told Kissinger that China is willing to work with the U.S. to explore ways for the development of bilateral ties. Kissinger underscored the importance of the One China principle and said he's willing to work for mutual understanding between people of the two countries. Kissinger recently turned 100 years old. He has visited China over 100 times since 1971. While serving as U.S. National Security Advisor more than 50 years ago, Kissinger made a secret trip to China, which led to then-President Richard Nixon's icebreaking visit to China in 1972. The Women's World Cup has opened in New Zealand despite a deadly shooting in Auckland on the eve of the tournament. The gunman killed two people at a construction site near the hotels where teams including Norway were staying. Police say the shooter is also dead. Prime Minister Cripps Hipkins says there's no wider national security threat. Auckland, Aucklanders and those watching around the world can be assured that the police have neutralised the threat and that they are not seeking anybody else in relation to the incident. New Zealanders' safety and the safety of our visitors is our first priorities. 32 teams, including China, are competing in the World Cup, jointly hosted by Australia and New Zealand. We will bring you some early action in the sports section later in the program. More than a thousand supporters of the Move Forward Party have held a protest in Bangkok. The protest comes as the country's parliament voted to deny Peter Limjaranrat a second chance to be confirmed prime minister. The leader of the Move Forward Party has assembled a coalition of parties holding a majority in the House of Representatives. But his nomination for prime minister was defeated last week. A joint session debated whether Peter can be nominated for a second time, and the House Speaker then put the question to a vote. Parliament will reportedly vote again next week to elect a prime minister. Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin has told his fighters to take no further part in the Ukraine conflict and gather their strength for Africa. Prigozhin's press service posted a video including a voice thought to be the mercenary leaders welcoming his fighters to Belarus. Prigozhin went to Belarus and then returned to Russia after Wagner's aborted mutiny last month. The Kremlin says Russian President Vladimir Putin will not travel to South Africa for the BRICS leaders' summit next month, but will attend virtually. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov will represent Moscow at the event. South South Africa says the decision is based on mutual agreement. The International Criminal Court has an arrest warrant for Putin over alleged crimes during Russia's conflict with, with Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia says it will consider ships traveling to Ukrainian ports as possible military targets following Moscow's decision to exit the Black Sea grain grain deal. Ukraine says it is setting up a temporary shipping route to maintain grain exports. 
New York City will distribute flyers at the U.S.-Mexico border, telling newly arrived migrants to consider another city. Mayor Eric Adams says the city has done more than any other level of government to address this national crisis. We will begin giving 60-day notice to adult asylum seekers in the coming days, and those who do not find alternative housing by the time their 60 days are complete, they will be required to reapply for a new placement. At the arrival center, this is the only way we can make critical needed space for families and children. We don't want to reach the point, and we won't reach the point, where families and children are living on our streets, like you're seeing in other municipalities. New York City says it has provided services to 90,000 migrants since last spring, and that nearly 55,000 remain in its care. Thousands of those migrants arrived on buses sent by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. The new flyer that New York City plans to circulate at the border highlights the high cost of housing, food, and other necessities that migrants will encounter if they travel to the U.S. financial center. Witnesses,、uh, hundreds of protesters have set fire to Sweden's embassy in Iraq. The move is in protest against the planned burning of the Quran in Sweden. The Iraqi foreign ministry strongly condemned the incident, saying that the government has instructed security forces to carry out a swift investigation. Thank you very much for the update. That was Tianyu reporting. This is Shane Bigam in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, China's issued guidelines on boosting growth in the private sector. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. Thirty-six past the hour. Turning to business now. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index was higher at the opening bell, but it did sink as the session progressed and、uh, ended about nine tenths of one percent lower. A couple of big Chinese banks locked in gains as the government made some tweaks to cross-border financing rules. Many of these banks also sold off U.S. dollars, which helped boost the renminbi. Agricultural Bank of China and ICBC were the two top contributors to gains on the Shanghai Composite Index.、Uh, each of those added around half of one percent. AI-linked stocks, though, were among the biggest losers on the Chinese mainland,、uh, with Inspur Software down about three percent, and another、uh, AI developer, iFlytek, down five and a half percent. And those losses were compounded as well by falls among、uh, other tech shares, as well as industrial and consumer stocks. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was a little bit below flat. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped more than one point two percent. Chinese authorities have issued a guideline on boosting the growth of the private economy, promising to improve the business environment, enhance policy support, and strengthen legal guarantees for development. Private enterprises have been a pivotal driving force behind China's economic progress over the past decades. As of May of this year, the number of registered private enterprises in China had surpassed 50.9 million. They contribute more than 60% of the country's gross domestic product, spearhead 70% of technological innovation, and. Are responsible for 80% of urban employment. Liu Wei has more. The document was released by the CPC Central Committee and the State Council. It highlighted the role of the private economy in promoting Chinese modernization, high-quality development, and advancing national rejuvenation. This positioning of the private economy directly connects the private sector with the grand goal and task of China's path to modernization and the primary task of high-quality development. 
This has indicated that the private economy is very important. The guideline says China will continue to improve the environment of the private economy. To do that, the country will work to remove barriers in market access and fully implement policies and mechanisms for fair competition. The document also noted that more policy support will be given to the private sector, including financing for companies and doing more to meet labor demand. We noticed that financing support is being pushed as a top priority, and the prevention and clearance of debt issues have been listed out separately. What's more, the document has included policy mechanisms that highlighted direct access and high efficiency. It's also going to ensure development of the private sector is improved by continuously optimizing a stable, transparent, and predictable environment. This will also include a strengthening in policy communication and an enhancement in the stability and the predictability of regulatory systems and policies. The guideline also gives attention in ensuring legal guarantees for the private economy. That includes the protection of intellectual property rights, as well as the property rights of private firms, and the legitimate rights and interests of entrepreneurs. In promoting the high-quality development of the private sector, it says the country will encourage private companies to accelerate their digital transformation and invest more in research and development. The guideline also pledged measures to promote entrepreneurship in the private economy. That was Lu Wei reporting. Chinese banks have decided to maintain the benchmark lending rates at the same level as the previous month. As of Thursday, the one-year loan prime rate in the country remained at 3.55 percent, while the five-year rate, which serves as a reference for mortgages, is unchanged at 4.2 percent. In June, both rates were reduced by 10 basis points. Uh, this reduction marked uh, the first rate cut since August of last year. It was initiated as part of the government's commitment to strengthening the nation's economic recovery. Financial support for high-tech startup companies in China is surging, with numerous banks launching creative products and services to aid growth. Juju has more. What comes to your mind when referring to battery manufacturers? Many people may only think of those leading companies like CATL and CALB. Well, one company you may not have heard of is Sikeqi Engineering Automation. It ranked second last year in terms of market share for lithium battery module and pack equipment. For many high-tech companies like Sikeqi, it was difficult to seek funding at the beginning. When we started our company in 2019, the overall scale was relatively small. Traditional banking industry requires asset collateral, but we are a light asset high-tech enterprise, so it was very difficult to obtain credit. Well, the good thing is there are already many banks are designing their new ways of calculation and assessment system for borrowing money for those high-tech startups. We launched a method called Technology Flow. It evaluates the company's performance in areas such as patents and technology applications. Sikeqi has won many awards for advanced engineering. This helps it gain bonus points in our evaluation. Apart from unique technologies, Sikeqi said stable market demand is also key to receiving funding. We conduct research development and production based entirely on customer demands. We engage in in-depth communication with customers and then work with them to develop new technologies. Official data shows that in the first quarter, 45.9% of high-tech startups have acquired loans. That is 1.3 percentage points higher than that of the previous quarter. 
To accelerate the trend, Zhang called for financial organizations to launch more advanced evaluation systems to provide better financial aid to them. That was Juju reporting. China's completed the offshore installation of its Guazhong gas field with the docking of a 12,000-ton oil and gas drilling platform and underwater jacket. Wen Jin Lai is general manager of the Engineering Construction Center of China National Offshore Oil Corporation, Tianjin Branch. He says the gas field will alleviate energy shortages in the surrounding area. With the completion of the float-over installation of the central platform, the overall construction progress of the first phase of the Bozhong gas field project has exceeded 85%. After being put into operation within this year, it will effectively alleviate the shortage of gas in North China and provide stable and reliable clean energy and chemical products for the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region and the Bohai Rim region. That gas field, located in Qingdao, Shandong province, has uh, proven geological reserves of natural gas exceeding 200 billion cubic meters. Tesla reported a net income of 2.7 billion U.S. dollars in the second quarter of this year, a 20% increase from the same period last year. Tesla's quarterly revenue was $24.9 billion for the quarter, which is nearly 47% higher. Most of the revenue came from Tesla's automotive side, which hit $21.3 billion in Q2. Tesla closed out the quarter with $1 billion of free cash flow, up from $441 million by the end of the first quarter. The company said that their gigafactory Shanghai remains the main export hub and has been running near full capacity for several months. Uh, China's electric car makers are among the companies helping boost exports. In the first quarter of this year, China achieved a milestone by becoming the world's largest automobile exporter. The country attributed the milestone to technological uh, advancements made by numerous small and medium-sized suppliers. Zhang Shixuan has more from Shanghai. The shift from gasoline and all human-controlled automobiles to electric and intelligent vehicles is making cars into computers on wheels, a trend forcing the auto industry to embrace new software and adopt new systems to test it. Liu Chunxiao's company has been offering automated testing and verification solutions for R&D software in vehicle control for six years. With some 30 employees in Shanghai, the company's revenue has been growing 30% every year. The scale of automobile software has been rising rapidly, which has brought an explosive increase in our testing cases. It would be impossible for a person to handle it all just by themselves, so we plan to introduce AI tools like ChatGPT into the engineering outline of our entire demands to allow computers to understand demands expressed in natural language and then generate test cases. This will help better test various domain controllers and autonomous driving software. BTC is just one of the companies located in the Shanghai Intelligent Automobile Software Park, which opened last September in Jading District, an area that gathers a large number of automakers and auto parts suppliers. Thanks to the density of auto companies on the ground here, BTC has already picked up some big clients like Syke Volkswagen. Other SMEs in the auto sector are working on chips for future technologies. Basically, the idea of chiplet is to divide a large silicon into multiple smaller chiplets. The large silicon has a lot of problem in controlling the cost because when the areas increase, the yield rate drops a lot. For example, when the silicon area is close to 800 millimeter square. 
the yield rate is below or around 20%. But if we reduce the area down to maybe like 200 millimeters square each unit, then the yield rate will increase to maybe 60 or 70%, and the cost will be three times lower. According to a government guideline on the development of SMEs during the 14th five-year plan, China aims to have one million innovative small and medium-sized enterprises by 2025. That was Zhang Shishuan reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the FIFA Women's World Cup is now underway. The FIFA Women's World Cup is underway in Australia and New Zealand, featuring an expanded 32 teams competing at the tournament for the first time. Who can stop defending champion the United States? How good is Team China looking? Take part in our discussions on the Sideline Story podcast and get a glimpse of the charm of the showpiece event. 47 past the hour now. And turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. Hosts New Zealand edged Norway 1-0 in the Women's World Cup opener, with Hannah Wilkinson scoring the first goal of the event. A shooting incident in Auckland, which left three people dead, including the shooter, overshadowed the tournament ahead of the kickoff. A statement from the Norwegian national side said the incident happened close to the squad's hotel, but the team is not affected. Owen Poland has more from Auckland on the implications of the shooting for the World Cup. He also runs us through a few key games. Well, obviously, uh, the whole world is watching New Zealand for the start of this important uh, tournament. And this morning's shooting was uh, naturally a big dis- distraction and a shock to everyone before it was better understood what had really happened. Uh, fortunately, the shooting has not had any impact on the World Cup which is being jointly hosted by two countries, Australia and New Zealand, for the very first time. The 2023 World Cup features an expanded format of 32 teams, which will play a total of 64 matches in nine different cities. And FIFA says it's sold close to 1.4 million tickets. That's a record which breaks the previous highest total in Canada in 2015. China happens to play its first game against Denmark this Saturday in the western city of Perth. And then the team has to fly more than 2,000 miles east to Adelaide, where they'll play their second pool game against Haiti on Friday. Not surprisingly, the United States are the overwhelming favourites to win this competition. But we're going to have to wait until the final in Sydney in a month's time to discover who will be the next world champions. That was Owen Poland reporting from Auckland, New Zealand. China's Chen Yuxi shocked Olympic champion Chuan Hongchan to become the first diver to win the women's 10-meter platform title at three consecutive world championships. Chen led from the start to finish, scoring a total of over 457 points. Chuan, who beat Chen in the two qualifying rounds, got a set of 10s in round 4, but some small errors in the first two rounds proved too costly. She finished second with over 445 points. The 17-year-old Chen and the 16-year-old Chuan retained their synchronized title at World Aquatics Championships in Japan on Sunday. 
and in football, Premier League power Arsenal has gained a 5-0 victory over the MLS All-Stars in Washington. Gabriel Jesus and Leandro Tosar scored excellent goals before halftime. Jorginho converted a penalty right after the second half began for the Gunners, who are in their preseason preparations after finishing second in the Premier League during the 2022-23 season. Gabriel Martinelli and Kai Havertz added late goals as Arsenal inflicted the MLS All-Stars worst defeat in this format of the All-Star game. New summer signing Dalkin Rice entered in the 65th minute in his first preseason appearance for the club. This was the first time the MLS Stars had played a European club team in the game since 2019. Veteran defender Jordi Alba is set to join former FC Barcelona teammates Lionel Messi and Sergio Busquets in Miami. The 34-year-old will continue his career with MLS Inter Miami nearly two months after announcing that he was leaving Barcelona after 11 years with the club. Elba, who joined Barca in 2012 from Valencia, helped Barcelona win six La Liga titles, five Copa del Rey trophies and the Champions League in 2015. Inter Miami also recently announced the former FC Barcelona and Argentina national team manager Gerardo Tata Martino as its next head coach. Chelsea defender Wesley Fofana looks set to miss most of the coming season after undergoing surgery on a knee injury that saw him miss the team's visit to the United States. Fofana has been suffering bad luck in the past two years, breaking a leg in the preseason in 2021 and struggling with a knee problem last year after joining Chelsea. That limited him to just 20 appearances last season and he's now going to be out for at least six months and probably several more. Fofana's injury means Chelsea may not may now go into the market to sign a new central defender. They could move to England defender Harry Maguire, who looks to be on his way out of Manchester United after being stripped of the captaincy by coach Eric Ten Hag. And finally, Saudi Pro League interim CEO Saad Al-Aziz said that he the plans to transform football in the kingdom will go much wider than just the cherry-picking players from around the world. He says that he wants the clubs to be making their own way in terms of commercial stability, player development and the coaching within a decade. The transformation strategy in the professional league, it was not born out of nowhere. It is part of the strategy of transformation of the entire kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It kept pace with the ambition of the leadership to place the Saudi league in the ranks of international leagues. This is the most ambitious sports project offered by Saudi Arabia. Its ambition is much higher than attracting players and introduce international stars to the Saudi league. His words were endorsed by Michael Aminalo, the Saudi Pro League's director of football. Aminalo said the project has been in the making for a while and would be a boost for the football industry as a whole. Thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture, Syria has begun restoration efforts in Aleppo's quake-damaged old city. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 
Uh, 54 past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, Syria has begun restoring the historic citadel and markets in the old city of Aleppo, damaged during the earthquakes in February. The goal is to preserve Aleppo's cultural heritage and revive the damaged sites in the old part of the city, which also suffered through uh, throughout the civil war. Old city director Ahmad Shahabi says the restoration work is necessary to save the area from total collapse. What's currently being accomplished is the eastern Sakatia market, starting with lowering the level of the road by removing the stone tiles, rebuilding the infrastructure, sanitation and drinking water, and transforming the distorted electrical and pneumatic network of the facades, which involves working underground and then repaving the tiles. The stone facades destroyed by terrorism are now being rehabilitated. The citadel of Aleppo is one of the most important archaeological sites in Syria. It was closed in February for safety reasons and the restoration work is expected to take four months. A contemporary dance drama titled uh, Poet Tong Po premieres this weekend in Shanghai. The work pays tribute to legendary poet Su Dong Po, a cultural icon in Chinese history. Yo Young takes a closer look at the choreography of that dance drama. Combining the movements of contemporary dance with traditional Chinese philosophy, Poet Dongpur portrays many elements from renowned Chinese poet Su Dongpur's life, from the joys and sorrows he experienced to his optimism and broad intellect. It's a contemporary dance, it's a modern dance that based on a poet Dongpur um, from almost a thousand years ago. And I chose him, he's a, one of the most well-known poets, and not just you know, nationally in China, but also internationally as well. Created by internationally renowned choreographer and visual artist Shen Wei, who created one of the opening segments of 2008 Beijing Olympic ceremony, the piece is also produced by China Oriental Performing Arts Group, known for the highly acclaimed poetic dance The Journey of Legendary Landscape Painting. Su Dongpur, also known as Su Shi, is one of the most important cultural figures in Chinese history. Scholars say he mastered nearly all the major literary and artistic forms at that time, including regulated verse, the Ci in Song Dynasty, prose poetry, calligraphy, and painting. He also experienced the ups and downs in his political life, making the optimism in Su's work a source of inspiration down the generations. This is the first time I'm so proud of what I'm doing as a contemporary dancer and because it's a Chinese culture and then we can combine with a modern contemporary dance on stage and showing what Chinese culture are so strong and to transfer to the time now and to be close to the audience. Yes, I do feel very nervous about our premiere. As a professional dancer, when one of our new dance dramas is ready, I do hope we can show our best to our audiences. The poet Dongpur will tour around the country this year, and the artists say they will also bring it overseas, showcasing traditional Chinese culture and aesthetics to international audiences.
That was Yo Young reporting from Beijing. The Palace Museum in China has released a batch of high-definition images of more than 300 oracle bones and rubbings. They were made public at a forum on digital culture and tourism during the 2023 China Internet Civilization Conference in Fujian Province. The platform is dedicated to promoting the protection of ancient writing materials and research results through digital technology. The museum says it will publish more digital resources in the near future. We're at 58 past the hour in Beijing. Beijing's at 24 degrees overnight tomorrow, some showers and a high of 26 degrees. Chongqing's at 25 tonight, then a slight rain in 32, lasts down to 11, then clouds in 24. Hong Kong's 28 this evening, then cloudy in 33. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 overnight, a slight rainfall in 32 on Friday. Islamabad has a slight rain in 25 overnight. That rain continues through the day tomorrow when a high of 33. Bangkok's at 26, and then a slight rain in 34 on Friday. In Africa, Nairobi's going to be cloudy in 28 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, then a slight rain in 18. Auckland's 12 overnight, then a slight rain in 14. Port Vila, some rain in 26 Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese president's hailed visiting former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger as an old friend of China. And Spain's classified the current heat wave as extreme in 30 districts. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.